not all podcast episodes on this feed are equal. But that's why you're here, right? You're here for the peaks. You're here for the slight valleys, a little dip. Let's just call it that. Little peaks, no big peaks, little dips. I like that. Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. I'm your host, Deepa Shreether. Uh, We've got an interview podcast on our hands, y'all. I have been waiting, waiting for this interview um, and waiting to be able to release said interview. Uh, It is finally, finally, (laughs) we've got Josh Elliott from Fruit Blood on the podcast. Um, If you are new to this podcast, um, I will totally get into uh, Fruit Blood and also the natural winemaker, Josh Elliott, here in a second. If you are not new to this podcast, you understand why I am giddy. I am in deep fangirl mode. Fruit Blood was... Honestly, just the number one summer wine uh, company for me. And just seeing, uh, start, just honestly, the way I came across Fruit Blood, personally speaking, is I just saw them on Instagram and it was the most amazing branding I had seen from a wine company. It was so singular. It was so unique. It had its own idea of who it wanted to be. Um, I'd never seen, I'd never seen branding from a small batch company that was so focused. Um, and then I ordered it and lo and behold, Josh Elliott was listening to the podcast and was so generous and, um, got me to try, try some of his wines that he loves out of, I guess the whole fruit blood line. Um, and we, we basically started an, a nice little email thread and that's kind of how it happened. So fruit blood, let's talk about it. Here's also how, you know, he's an elite guest, right? So I, I always ask guests for a bio, just something I can sort of make into my own. Um, this bio, I'm not going to change. sometimes a bio is just good as is no need for an embellishment okay so I am going to uh get into this particular bio written by Josh Elliott um edited by nobody but maybe Josh Elliott (laughs) and let me see if I can give it some justice here all right you're just in it here now for the vocal acoustics that I'm, I'm adding to this because, like I said, it's written beautifully. Josh Elliott is a natural winemaker specializing in producing sparkling fruit wines with a flavor-first philosophy. An eminently curious person, Josh's first career was in veterinary medicine where he mastered sterile technique, microbial management in a laboratory setting. Did you guys hear that microbial was just going to maybe be a problem? (laughs) Back to it. 
get back in those quotes. As a lifelong vegetarian, working with food never seemed like a viable option until the craft beer boom of the late aughts took hold in his hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio. Making that career change eventually led to becoming head brewer at Urban Artifact, where he developed an award-winning spontaneous fermentation program, created a new style of beer, the Midwest Fruit Tart, and by focusing on flavor and integrating fruit, helped to turn sour beer from a niche product into something on the shelf in every supermarket in the country. Go ahead, Josh. That was me, not, not Josh. Uh, with his new project, Fruit Blood, Josh is working to make good fruit wine a thing by, again, focusing on flavor, giving fruit the same kind of treatment that is normally reserved for fi the finest grapes, while also eliminating gatekeeping and lowering the barrier to entry for all drinkers, no matter their level of experience. End. Fiend. <laughs> It was good, right? Okay, so so Josh is um, just like I said, he's he's somebody that is going to be changing, changing essentially the wine world. I, I firmly believe that. Um, a little bit on Fruit Blood. Fruit Blood is essentially a natural wine company, but but instead of focusing on the idea that that wine. Is, is something that is only grape forward. Fruit Blood is in the business of fruit, wine, cuvées, and co-ferments. Um, they showcase peaches, blackberries, cherries, and these are peaches, blackberries, cherries that, that you find in the locality of where he is in Cincinnati, Ohio, or close to that, which I also found to be really interesting. I, I know nothing about that part of the country. So um, it's still in that same business of terroir, but kind of taking away the idea that if you're a landowner, then you get to be the creative in the wine business. And taking back into the idea that if you are creative, you get to be a creative in the wine business. All right, I feel like without further ado, right? Let's get to it. Enjoy, y'all. Josh Elliott, uh, Fruit we Blood. We have Josh from Fruit Blood, and thank you so much for being on this podcast. There are so many things that we've been, me and you, talking about either through DMs or an email exchange. Um, so I'm really excited for everyone to hear this conversation. But we're going to do first... The conversation, uh, the question that like I feel like you probably get asked the most: um, What brought you into becoming a winemaker? How did you become the winemaker that is known as Josh Elliott of Fruit Blood? <laughs> oh, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to talk to you. It was really, really nice. It's like really been looking forward to talking to you as well. <laughs> um, but as far as like uh, starting to become a fruit or get into wine, um, mm -hmm. it was pretty much backwards. I uh, So I was working for a brewery called Urban Art back at the time. Uh, when I started this, I started in, oh man, like I started the planning uh, in probably February of 2020. In um, the time I was working for a brewery and um, what I was doing there was managing their spontaneous fermentation program. And 
part of, so Urban Artifact only makes sour beer. And uh, I really got the benefit of working from them from the beginning and learning how to position something that it turns out people really just don't like the taste of. Um, so uh, we figured out um, that if you, we, if we leaned into the fruit flavor of things and, and added enough fruit that, uh, to really articulate the fruit flavor, uh, it contextualized the tartness of the beer um, and it took it from being a niche product that people like who were in, had to be into craft beer and then were seeking out to being a kind of an entry point into craft beer as a whole. Um, it was just a lot more, uh, I don't know what you'd call that easy, like easy to digest. Um, and so I was making, I was doing that with their barrel age program. Uh, so it was all spontaneous, no, no real additives. Um, wow to make as much like articulate as much fruit flavor as possible within those confines uh and so um i eventually just kind of wondered oh i wonder if we could do this without grapes or, or without beer we're using so little beer to begin with um i was just i was i was pretty much making batches of tart dry crisp beer that had very little like beeriness graininess flavor to it um just as a vehicle uh, so yeah, I ended up buying, um, a few different varieties of grapes and, um, treating, pressing the grapes out, crushing, pressing the grapes out and treating that wine pretty much like I had been treating the beer and then, um, doing co-fermentation, uh, or I did both. I started off with doing, making cuvées. So, so fermenting the fruit on its own and then combining it with the grapes and then also, um, producing, uh, combining them together, doing co-ferments and, uh, finding out what, what made the, the, what tasted the best. And, um, after finding success with, uh, like making product that tasted good, making wine, finished wine that tasted like fruit, like I was hoping, and, um, was just all, all, all grape and, and fruit all the way through. Um, it was, uh, it, I mean, it was, that's, that's pretty much it. It was, it, it, it worked out. <laughs> Um, and the, the folks I was working for, uh, were really progressive and really committed to keeping talent on. Um, so, uh, after having, having done that with beer, having turned sour beer into something that was really accessible for a lot more people, um, and then having the idea like, oh, I wonder if we can do this with wine. Um, they offered me startup capital for an exchange for equity and starting this new company and kind of gave me carte blanche to like build, build the best machine you can. So build the best like brand you can, um, for, for developing something like that into, into wine. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I find that to be so, I mean, your story itself is so unique, but I find that to, to make, it makes a lot more sense just tasting exactly what you're doing because um, even though it, it has turned into a wine, I do find a lot of the flavors are, are so original. Um, it doesn't feel like you are trying to mimic something, you know, of that whole idea, oh, yeah. like, for instance, like with vegan food, right. Where they're like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh, I have made a burger and it is bleeding beak. And you're just sort of like, 
I guess, but it becomes because of that, a lot of the product, not all of it, but a lot of that product becomes diluted. It becomes less of the thing they're trying to mimic. And what I find to be so interesting about what you're doing is that it, it tastes something that is like not only just standing up next to traditional wine, it's creating a whole different lane for itself. Um, so what really kind of got you to think about fruit that way? I know you were talking about essentially at the end of the day, it was necessity um, with the sour beer of it all. But was it was it something like once you started making making this thing, this fruit beer at first, um, did you start to gravitate to, towards more of those fruit flavors from there? Um, well, uh, going back a little bit, it, first, it's really interesting that you bring up uh, vegan food alternatives because mm-hmm. I don't eat meat and mm-hmm. um, having grown up eating a lot of that stuff uh, like as alternatives. So like, why does this look like chicken nuggets and taste the way it does? <laughs> like it doesn't appeal to me as a vegetarian. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to trick myself into, into <laughs> eating else like that. So it was really easy to not, to not fall into that trap of like having to mimic something um, because, because just, just familiarity with that. Um, but uh, in terms of like why, uh, like leaning into like other fruits or, or other flavors, um, I like the whole thing, the whole, the whole idea started for, because I wanted cherry champagne. And I thought, for okay. sure, somebody's got to make something like that, right? Somebody's got to. <laughs> um, and so I started buying like every bottle of fruit wine I could get my, I could really get my hands on. And most of it was just like sweet garbage. It just was, it was not very good. Like it just, it sucked. Like <laughs> fruit wine for like the most part does suck. And like, um even stuff that i thought like looked like champagne or looked like it was going to be sparkling or fun and it was still like just sparkling syrup and um so so yeah it was it was more of like having an idea of what the type of product i wanted to have on the back end than um wanting to mimic something so um uh yeah so so it wasn't and then like it was really hard for me as not really knowing a bunch about wine to learn about winemaking. Yeah, you can buy a bunch of books, but it's all, it's all super technical. Um, and, and I've not been able to find a lot of like, with beer, there are a lot of Facebook groups of brewers who just talk about production and how to achieve results and how to do things like that. And I just, I couldn't find any resources like that from wine um, either uh, to, start, to start pulling information from. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so it was just like, it was, it was out of a want and then not having a way to even find out how to mimic that kind of stuff. And hmm. what it just did, I mean, the, the, the process I, uh, I developed at, um, at UA with making spontaneous fermentation wine, um, was producing something I really like. I really liked the flavor of, and, um, it was like really prioritized fruit, like the fruit flavor of it. Um, hmm. And also like, I'm sure you've, you've noticed, but a lot of, um, a lot of wines that I was buying that weren't like fruit wines were like explaining the flavors in the context of fruits. So like, if wow, you buy, right. yes. yeah. So like I'll, I'll buy like an Abrino or something and it'll, it'll describe the flavor as like, 
stone fruit or, or peach or, or mm-hmm. plum or like that. And I was like, well, why the hell aren't they just using those fruits in the first place? Um, so like if, if they're, if they're using that to market it, it's clearly because people can either grab grasp onto it and, um, and, uh, and, and that's what they prefer or that's what they're looking for or, or whatever. But it's like, why not, why not just like, why, why do a shade of something people are asking for in the first place? Um, and then like, nobody was doing it. <laughs> like nobody, nobody I could really find that I could find very, very few examples of people working with um, fruits that were not grapes. Most of the time they were like pears and apples, um, which still was good. Like it's, it's still different, but it wasn't like cherry. I couldn't, I couldn't, it was like, this still wasn't like cherry or peach wine. Like I was looking for. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think what you just said, how I feel like you just said something that it, it's one of those moments where once someone says something, you can't unhear it. <laughs> I think the reason why you couldn't find, um, and this is this is definitely a little bit of editorializing here on my part, but I think the reason why you couldn't find um, somebody making a cherry wine or somebody, because I, I don't think I've heard from anybody else put together a very simple connection once you say it, where if you're looking at the back of a bottle and it's mm-hmm. saying jammy. It's talking to you about cherries. It's talking to you about stone fruit. It's talking to you about these things that you're t- you're immediately like, oh, I'm glad that this wine tastes like these kinds of fruits. Mm-hmm. Somehow not making the connection that, well, God damn it, let's just put some fruit in there and see what <laughs> happens if we if we get our technique right. Uh, incredible stuff here. Just- I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was. Um, I I think that another part of that is there is such a big push for farming techniques mm-hmm. as a as a part of it, and it is just it's almost like unless you're growing that fruit on your own personal property and can treat it that way, it's it is almost it is almost impossible to find fruit that is like uh, organically or biodynamically farmed. Um, mm. organic's a little easier, uh, but it's, that's still a very expensive process to, to get to the, like organic certified. And, um, so, uh, if, so yeah, if, if you're, if you're in an industry where your, your product is marketed largely based on being organically farmed or biodynamically farmed and you can't buy fruit mm. that, that cuts out fruit wine, just even as just conceptually. And I, I just... I, I mean, I didn't buy wine based on farming practices. I bought it based on flavor. So I, 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 I mean, I just, I, that was, no, that was another hurdle that I wasn't kept. I wasn't kept like, I wasn't, it wasn't preventing me from moving forward through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So like, let's say today, today of where fruit blood is, how, how are you able to source the amount that you need? um for for getting these especially when when you're looking on the back of these bottles you know it's these specific cherries and and this sort of stuff how how are you able to kind of uh get down to the sourcing of it all with these really cool fruits it was another really big benefit of working at at urban artifact or starting at urban artifact is um we bought man they're to the point where they're using a million pounds of fruit a year wow and they're only producing 
uh, I can't, I can't remember what it is, like 15,000 barrels a year, which, which in the grand scheme of things is not very much beer. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, I got, I really made, I was able to make working there for five, six years, a lot of connections with people and go and meet farmers, different places. And, uh, so like the cherries, um, I met some farmers at a brewing convention a few years ago from this place called King's Orchard up in outside of Traverse City, Michigan, and bought fruit from them. And I really, really liked the quality of it. So I was able, I, I know reliably that I can, I can call on them for, for good cherries and they'll get here in good shape. And um, I really like the quality and the same with kind of like berries and meeting uh, farmers from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and it really was just it was it was the the good fortune of of working at a place that prioritized finding good ingredients and um like let me spend the money to to figure that out and um and was able to make those connections so it wasn't i wasn't it was not like a scramble on the back end with fruit blood it was more like oh i already know these people i just call them and pay them out of my personal account now wow yeah no it, i feel like um you've kind of unlocked a really good point on how people start to thrive in these creative businesses um, that especially, you know, when we're talking about what I really want to dive into right now is essentially how the traditional wine world is structured, who has access mm -hmm. uh, to making this uh, considered fine dining product. And then um, even though, you, you were probably, you know, held in a, in a different place because of many different areas of gatekeeping. Um, I think a really important part of getting good at whatever you're producing or being a creative is uh, working at the place and then just sort of keeping up your connection so you can, you can source. Um, yeah. But that I think is still very different when we're talking about uh, the wine world, I, I want to kind of go back to something that you you touched upon, where uh, you're talking about these face group, uh, Facebook groups of you know beer beer makers, and it's it sounds like it's more of a community of like, hey, you know, if you do this or this or this, this can help you out, and it feels a little bit more open. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, um, I mean, how has it been for you um, being being a winemaker uh, in the in this wine world are, are you able to kind of gather a community of winemakers around you or, or could you speak a little bit to that? I've kind of struggled with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've struggled. It's, it's, so it's been kind of, it's really been mixed. Um, my, the community that I've found has been really on the opposite ends of the spectrum. It's been a lot of people who, um, who it, it's, it's, it's stuff I identify with on both sides. So, um, at first, like the, the first half are people who are like outsiders or not, not really invested or into wine at all. So a lot of it's like, um, people like me who don't necessarily drink wine a lot regularly, or rather don't know a lot about wine. So found wine really kind of intimidating. Um, so like it's people who, so, so the idea of having a wine that tastes like fruit and mm. not having to like learn what a bunch of different types of foreignly named grapes mean and what that like what how i'm supposed to 
figure out the context of like what flavors that is actually going to end up with yeah. in the glass and um and uh yeah so that's that's been like the the, the first half of people i've found community with is, is people who were also felt like uh wine was hard basically um and then the other side are um it's the very like our, our producers are um i've had a lot more interest and curiosity and being able to make friends with um like people who uh aren't really also or don't really see the need for the farming or or don't prioritize prioritize that the same man that's probably not the best way to say that but like um like board producers is kind of another hmm. thing with them so um uh, people who are just looking for something new and uh, like, yeah, fruit wine and, and the whole brand is pretty novel. If not, I don't really want to call it novelty, but it is, it is novel. Um, so folks who are uh, very familiar with wine and looking for something new and uh, can recognize that how, how there, there are just aren't a lot of examples of wines that are similar to, to, to the, what we're making with fruit blood. Um, I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, what what I will say, though, that has been very interesting, at least from the outsider looking in, um, is that I find actually a lot more winemakers um, starting to incorporate, uh, especially people who are doing, you know, maybe like a super cooler or, or really into that natural wine movement, start to mm-hmm. incorporate um, fruit or different flavors that that aren't necessarily uh, coming from grapes. Uh, when you see stuff like that out in the wild, are you, I mean, what kind of washes over you? Are you, are you sort of feeling like, yeah, this is going to be good for all of us, or it just sort of feels like they're trying to tap into a trend. What, what's your feeling behind it? Um, I don't really think maybe they, I don't think they're really trying to tap into a a trend necessarily Mm -hmm. i feel like that's just the way things are going like the rise of so one of the reasons why i felt like fruit blood like the time was right for fruit blood was because um uh the beer scene had changed so much to the point where the type of beer that i was making that was really hard to find in say 2015 is now on the shelf of every supermarket in the country like Mm. you can walk into every store and find some sort of like tart or more acidic fruit flavored beer. And that just, that just didn't exist before. And um, like a second, like another part of that was uh, the rise of seltzers. So like, what is, what is seltzer if not bubbly and fruit just tastes like fruit? (laughs) Yeah, Um, true. And like, so I I just felt like there are a lot of people who are, who are asking, who are asking for that. Um, And I, I'm, I'm a little, when when I see it with winemakers, I'm a little like cautious. Um, I feel like a lot of people are still going to really over prioritize um, farming or mm-hmm. or things that that aren't just on not flavor um, and and other things that like you have to use a ton of fruit. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> it's like so like the fractions of fruit to grapes that I've been using are on the order of. 60 70 80 percent fruit and oh, wow. 40 20 percent grapes um 
And it's just, it's because if, if I dilute it much more than that with the grape wine, you just don't taste the fruit nearly as intensely. And I, I feel like that flavor intensity is, is what people are, are actually asking for is what they actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of winemakers are going to be dipping their toes into experimenting with it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really hoping fruit blood is like bears the brunt of um, that cultural change, like, like taking it on the chin because it's like, I, I mean, I'm not really positioning the brand towards um, people who are, are, I don't know, not really into fruit wine or not really who, who feel like it's dumb or, or want to do the gatekeeping um, mm-hmm. to keep out in the first place. Um, so if I can, if I can at least hold that cover and, and show that it's okay and that people are interested in it, I'm hoping we'll see a lot more of it in the future. Um, and, you know, hopefully that'll lead to, to more easier access to uh, like organically farmed fruit or um, wider varietals of fruit um, to be able to get a hold of. Uh, um, I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that is, I think you're, um, you're onto something there because I do feel that is the ecosystem of fine dining in general, right? You know, when you, when you think about places like, you know, uh, I know they've gotten in trouble, but like Blue Hill Farms or, or you know, it's mm-hmm. this whole idea that it's, it's farm to table, it's nose to tail, it's, you know, it starts from the soil and we know these farmers and we start there and, and that's how we're able to create a great meal or, or, mm-hmm. you know, have a great wine. Um, but without, without all of those little things in place and without everybody playing for the same team, you know, um, economically, so it's not the chef that they can, that can make sure uh, that that mm. farmer is, is going to to make the thing that the chef needs. Um, yeah, I mean, unless you're Dan, uh, Chef Dan of Blue Hills, but but what I'm saying <laughs> is um, that that is part of the game, right? It is part of the game of like if this becomes more of a thing, then you will have more things to essentially um, play with. What I also yeah. love if what you're saying is um, kind of taking it on the chin I feel I feel very similarly um for for a lot of immigrant chefs on on how they're able to sort of be that first wave of uh, essentially how fine dining can can be made on a banana leaf or Mm -hmm. or can be outside of the purview of um just western cuisine in general um when we're talking about gatekeeping who has access um which you're you're a shining example being in Cincinnati um (laughs) I love that every time we kind of have a conversation about this um you talk about land ownership so I kind of want you to go a little bit ISO here and and tell tell the people where land ownership um comes into when it comes to winemaking uh so yeah so you when you we were talking earlier about the backs of labels and um, there, there's just, there's not a lot of real estate or uh, let me back up. Let me back up. So back when I was trying to like do research to develop this project, um, 
I was buying a ton of just a ton of wine, um, natural wine, like normal wine, everything to get my hands on. And um, I, I noticed that when I was buying these bottles, they were not telling me very much about um, what I could expect in terms of flavor or like how how to be drank necessarily or or anything along the lines of like my the thing I can interact with about it like the, the mm-hmm. it, it tell me a lot about like where it came from and who who grew the grapes very little about the winemakers even um and that just that like I found that really challenging and I like and and not just like as a person who's outside of wine but as somebody who's like at the top of a tangential industry, like who also yeah. makes fermented beverages, I found like, I it was just like, it made me so mad. I just, it, like, it, <laughs> it was like, and I was like, why, like, like, why, why, like, why, why is this the thing you're telling me about is where, where it's from? Like, I can't, I can't, I can't relate yeah. to that. And, and even right. like when you, when you go to like a fine dining restaurant, um, which like, that's, that's a whole thing on its own. Like, I, I mean, you're totally right. It's like, I, I do take a lot of um, inspiration from from people who are like, beat their own drum, especially like immigrant chefs who've been able to change, like, a, like add to the book of what fine mm-hmm. dining can be. And that's, like, that's really what I want to do with fruit, but it's just add to the book. Um, and uh, so yeah, with um, being able to, to um, not ver- not learn very much. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So what I was saying was, um, so if like I go to a restaurant and um, asked the 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 waiter would, or waitress would tell you about the the wine selection, they're telling me about like the land or the soil mm-hmm. or like loam and sand and all this other stuff that like I can't relate to. It doesn't tell me anything about like <laughs> what it's going to taste like, and um, and it made me. I just was really confused. Like, why is that? Why is that the thing we're 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 using to market the wine? And it and like, it made me think. Like, I don't know. Is there? Is it? Is it? Like, why is land? Why is land ownership so important? And hmm. and if that's the case, like, it takes so much money to own land. First of all, it takes so much money to own land, and um, it also takes like if you're going to do organic or biodynamic farming, that's, they're not very efficient farming methods that, that costs even more money. So it just like, it made me, it made me really wonder. And it put this really gross pit feeling in, in, in my stomach of like, Oh, Oh no. Is this, is that, is the point just, is it, or is the gatekeep, is the gatekeeping just a matter of who can mm-hmm. afford land? If, if that is how all the wine is marketed, that they just seem like a really obvious, gross, um, weird gate. Like, mm-hmm. and, and like, and like having having the money to own land doesn't make you a good winemaker. Or like, and and I'm sure I'm sure there's people who who can do that and who own land in those like historic winemaking regions have gotten really good at farming the grapes and can produce some of the best fruit on the planet. But like man it's so easy to ruin fruit when, like once you start the <laughs> fermentation process like uh i mean if you do it, if you do it wrong it doesn't matter how good the fruit is when you start mm-hmm. um and um i don't know i just i just found that really 
as somebody who's like who grew up really poor like who grew up as like like river trash in southwest ohio <laughs> and like it just seemed like this like like an unsurmountable hill to climb and that was sure. kind of one of the reasons we, we presented the brand or wanted to, i wanted to make like position the brand as like sidestepping all of that and just make it really easy for anybody on their on its face to decide is this for me or is this not for me and and prioritizing tell, not telling not telling a story behind it but just presenting the facts about what this product is going to be like in terms of something that the customer can relate to you know it's um you, I, I love how many good points you're making through all of this. By the way, you're doing great. Just say no. <laughs> but um, I, I, just that whole idea of if you own land, it does not make you the best at dot, dot, dot. But I think that is actually uh, what we're seeing here in 2022. Uh, not that it's like, you know, we've changed everything and we're all good now, but it is, yeah. Um, yeah. it's more that this has been happening not just for 10 years or 20 years. We're talking about hundreds of years. We're talking about centuries, right? Mm -hmm. That is actually how the structure of how most things that are quote unquote good and most things that are quote unquote bad are decided. It's just, it's it's economics. It's not, it's not anything more or less of that. And once you realize that you realize we actually don't have a great idea or gauge of what quality is. Um, because we don't have a standardization that is um, clean. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I so um, I went to I joined the Ohio Wine Producers Guild, mm-hmm. um, and back in February, I went to the, the first meeting of theirs I had, and um, I realized at like this this like welcome day presentation they were doing that. There were not a people, a lot of people who were like me, who who were coming at this because they're winemakers. It was a lot of people who owned land hmm. and were trying to figure out what to do with it. And it kind of like, like shot my eyes wide open. And it made me wonder, is this, is that just like the history of, of grape regions in um, America for the most part? Like, like. Mm-hmm. I like I've not done the, done the gone back and done the research, but it wouldn't surprise me if like, do you remember when like we were just getting out of high school or or whenever I'm, I'm not sure how old you are, but I can't imagine you're you're much older, younger than I am. Um, but like when I was just getting out of high school in 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. 2000, uh, and like l- the price of land bottomed out, or or there's that big housing bust, so there's a bunch of cheap land. Um, yes. It wouldn't me if there if that was the genesis of a lot of wineries that we see now and like the same thing happened in the 30s with the depression so it wouldn't surprise me to learn that that was the genesis of the grape growing industry in california was depression we've got land so we can produce fruit because it grows well here and not necessarily because it's best it was just oldest in the timing and then marketed like good marketing yeah that is that is a, I've got no a idea. really good you know what i love a i love like a low-key conspiracy theory that might be right <laughs> you know that's what keeps the podcast spicy so i appreciate it um but also i think you you're catching on to something here where we are at least at least no 
whatever is is actually uh you know what transpired i think what we can say definitively is this idea that the the quality and the person who gets to talk to all of us about fine dining typically has no idea what quality is right has no idea because this is a game this is a game of who has the most um who owns the most and and yeah. there's no way that person um can have the perspective of let's say you who's able to kind of kind of go through this this whole winemaking process with fresh eyes right you're not you're not looking at it through this purview of mm-hmm. you know this is how winemaking is and this is and what i'm going to do is i'm going to essentially tweak um, the techniques and, and basically make a product that, that feels really similar and familiar. I, I really do feel uh, the reason why, especially before even I tasted the product, I mean, we, I really want to get into the branding here in a second, but um, <laughs> you, you have made something from the bottle, the label, um, the, the names of the wine, and then the actual quality of it. It is, it is singular. I use that word a lot when I talk about your product, but I think it has to do with the fact that we're not using the gauge of quote unquote, what is quality here? Mm-hmm. Not saying it doesn't come from quality. It's just that you're coming from a place where no one was really thinking about. It just feels super left field. And um, I love it. I love it because I just think, <laughs> Uh, the more that people get to taste your product, the more that people get to taste the wine, um, it's going to kind of open their eyes up too. It's shaking up the idea of what is great wine. Um, let's talk about your branding because oh, thanks, your yes, of course, but your branding, um, your branding is so good. How how did you conceive of the name and um, tell tell a little bit of that story of of where you guys are visually. Um, so I really just off the bat, I have to thank my partner and girlfriend, Becca Miller. Mm-hmm. She is the branding professional I, I work with to, to develop all this. We met at a wedding a couple years ago. And then when I, I had the idea for this project, I, I reached out to her and just kind of like brain dumped all of these ideas <laughs> that I had and threw a bunch of like, uh, I don't know, five, six pages worth of like just documents of, of ideas I had to see that I, I thought would work. And um, she came up with a coherent universe that, that it all fit into. <laughs> um, so a lot of it, like, so Fruit Blood came out of, uh, so it's, it's, I mean, it's all kind of tongue, tongue in cheek satire. I knew none of it was going to be taken seriously to begin with. So like, <laughs> why even, why even play that game? Why, like, why even allow myself to be measured against something that I'm never going to be, a measuring stick that I'm never going to look good against. Um, and uh, Fruit Blood was something we kind of threw around the brewery because when, when you're just like producing or working with that much fruit and like the juice hits the floor and it just ends up all over everything, it looks like a crime scene. Like <laughs> like using uh, like all this like blackberry and raspberry like crush and juice and it just like sits on the floor and um, like we would take pictures of each other, like laying on it and it looking <laughs> like it was blood rolling from us. And that was kind of like, it was, 
it was something that like um the the guy i worked work for at urban artifact uh brett and i talked a lot about was debating like like what's going to be a good name and and something that like is really visual and visceral and satirical and like why would you ever call a winery that in the first place was, was something that um was one of the reasons why i stuck with that and it just like and also it's it's like it it just totally describes what it is um like uh, like as as juice um mm -hmm. and that's like a, a, a smart ass way of describing what it is i guess um <laughs> and for for the brand like the whole point was just to be fun um and to be kind of self-selective on its own because like there are going to be a lot of people who don't like who are who find wine challenging so mm -hmm. um appealing to people like kind of showing on its face that this is a completely different idea. This is, this is totally different than what you're used to. And um, then, uh, um, yeah, I guess mostly just prioritizing fun. And, um, oh yeah, so like I was saying, uh, how if like not being challenged or, oh man, what was I just saying? Um, I lost my spot. It, uh, it happens. It happens. Once, once we start talking, um, you, <laughs> yes. you, you aren't the first on this, but <laughs> as, essentially we were, we were talking about, um, I guess, I guess we were getting a little bit into voice if that helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I just knew, I knew people were not going to like it. They're going to, yeah. the, the people, the, there are going to be a lot of people who just were not interested in it just because what it is. So making making the the labeling and the names and everything um not feel like like wine does normally like not feel and like too cool for its own good or mm -hmm. um like uh not i don't want to say bro but there's like there's kind of there's a wine bro to stuff yes and please say the word that trap. say the word Be <laughs> yeah and like so it, and like are really dark and overly serious or like precious or all these things that just are not yes. the brand the brand is like like i don't there's nothing mysterious about it the, mis the mysterious part is deciding to buy something completely different in the first place which is just with fruit wine and rewarding people at every step that i possibly can um for making that choice is it was was a big part of it um and I, it's just, it's honestly, it's a lot of stuff that I like. <laughs> like it's, it's, um, I don't know. We were, we were uh, for the naming scheme, we were, a lot of it was discussion of like pleasure and ruination are, were two big themes that kept coming mm. up, which is why uh, we, we landed on, or I, Beck and I landed on the names that we did um, and, and selected through them. And then really just trying to like fine tune that, like not, not to push away people who find the rest of wine at large challenging hmm. and um uh yeah i guess that was that's that was, that was largely it um yeah and it's just fun fun i wanted to be fun it is it's so fun i love the little i love the little details too i love that like each bottle comes with uh not just uh it's a bottle cap but it also then covered in wax like it just <laughs> it feels like you've got something um really special and um 
I, I do feel all those little touches really sort of help sell exactly what you're going to get in these products because you are once, you know, it's chilled and it's poured. Um, it does feel special, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I, I really do. Yeah. So I think the bottle really reflects all of that. So I guess, um, you're here in Cincinnati, um, you're working with Becca and you guys are creating something really special. What is Cincinnati like, uh, as far as the food and wine scene? Um, Cincinnati is a really unique place. Like Hamilton County is the the county that it's in. And it is a pretty good, uh, like microcosm of what the United Mm. States is at, at large. Um, that's, it's, between urban or not really half it's it's kind of like a third urban two-thirds rural and the the rural portion the most of the population is in the urban portion um and it's uh it's it's a wide range of of economic um background and um the people the people that are here uh it's in terms of food and drink a lot of the i mean the thing that people know about cincinnati is is skyline chili right? Like yes. that's the thing that people yes. know about is the chili on spaghetti. Um, and I th- like it's, so it's, and I don't know if you've ever had it, uh, but it's something that people talk shit about a lot, but it's like, mm. I, I really, I didn't like it as a kid, but I like it a lot now. Um, and mm. it's, it's, it's just, there's a lot of, it's a lot of comfort food uh, and a lot of like bringing things from outside, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm. Yes. Um, yes. I like so that. one thing that really like occurred to me about Skyline and like w- how people could accept different things. Uh, well, one that that alone made me think that Cincinnati was going to be a just fine place to start a project like that. Because um, I mean, people shit on that from everywhere and, and really do not like it. And secondly, like it's it, it's also it's immigrant food. Like yeah. it's it's Greek immigrant food, but like if you squint, it's not that different from um, like curry on rice at yeah. an Indian restaurant or anything like that. It's just like with the addition of cheese and a different spice blend. But it's like it's beans and lentils the same way. Uh, well, I mean, I don't eat meat, so the like variety I mm. eat is beans and lentils in the same way. Um, and uh, yeah, there that are... is actually a really you have you have re um, configured all of my notions <laughs> because I'm going to be honest, I may be one of those people. As much as I love to talk about like a little bit of gatekeeping here, there, yeah. I just turned my nose up to Skyline Chili. <laughs> oh my god, it is so good. Okay, like it is I'm, such. I need good to have some now. Yeah, you have to come to Cincinnati and like yes. we'll go to. And like go to the iconic chili parlor up in up in Clifton. Um, yeah, no, that's, we have that's, to that's, do that. Yeah, it would it would be a lot of fun. But so, but there's also like some weird other weird iconic foods that come out mm. of Cincinnati, and that was another reason why I like wanted. I felt like this was a really really good place to start this, and also like it's kind of like um, it feels to me if it plays in you know that saying if it plays in peoria it'll play anywhere or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. like people testing films in peoria illinois i kind of feel that with weird food here so like mm. um have you heard of grater's ice cream please tell me i i would like a if you if you can go through like a couple more signature cincinnati items i would love that so let's talk Absolutely. about this ice cream 
So Grater's Ice Cream, like uh, Oprah put it on her favorites list a few years ago, and mm. it's 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 but it's been like a really it's an iconic ice cream that's really local to Cincinnati. And the th- one of the things that really I, I I adore ice cream. And if it wasn't wine, ice cream would probably be the thing I'd I'd be most interested in, in manufacturing now. Um, but if you pick it up out of the freezer at a store, it's it's about twice as heavy as any other pint of ice cream on there. So it's just really dense with sugar and cream. And also they do this thing where they break up giant chunks of chocolate into it. And it's not like, so it's not very Mm. evenly dispersed throughout it, but it's much more like dopamine hitting hits in your brain, trying to find these like giant spoon sized (laughs) chunks of like dark chocolate within it. Um, So it's, it's like, it's novel. I've not had another ice cream like it anywhere else. Um, Mm. I mean, yeah, the flavors, of course, but the idea of like making these massive odds, like odd shaped chunks, and then that just being the thing they do um, beyond just making good ice cream. And Mm. then like other stuff, there's, I mean, there's like La Rose. So like La Rose is a big piece of chain around here. Or um, have you ever heard of Grippo's chips? No, tell me, tell me more. I'm I'm booking Um, my trip to to Cincinnati. Yeah, I'd love to send you some. They're they're just like, they're they're a type of sp- spicy barbecue chip, unlike flavored, unlike anything else I've I've had. And they're they're also kind of sweet at the same time. Um, they're just they're they're really bizarre, but they're very they're they're a pretty iconic brand. Um, and then some other stuff. I'm Airheads are from here. Um, I did not know that Airheads is a yeah. Cincinnati. Uh, it's like product. Northern Kentucky, but it's here. Yeah, okay. it's it counts. And then like it counts. Um, yeah, it's, it's close enough that it would like, this is, it's, it's pretty close. It's, it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes down the road. And then, um, like there, like French chew is another, a national candy chain. That's, that's from here. There's just a lot of bizarre, uh, reimaginations of food Mm. that I, I grew up eating and I didn't really think about it until we started having conversations about what food in Cincinnati was like or, or li- really listen to your show a lot more about just, just thinking about food um, mm. and food production in that way. Uh, but it's, it, it was, it's unique. It's, it's a, it's a different place. It's, it's, there's weird stuff. There's weird stuff. I've heard yeah. it is, it has become like a real artist hub. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it makes complete sense. I mean, hearing hearing not only like your love for Cincinnati and um, hearing about how I, I think, at least what I'm getting from this, that like comfort and art can be can be very like com- like friends. They, yes. They yeah. can be one and one together. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's totally it. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I think... I think that is what I find to be to be such a unique approach because that is truly not something that I think about when I think about wine. And I I do find wine to be a comfort personally because I love it so much. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that a winemaker's perspective can be from the idea that this is art and this is comfort and we've made that as the bones of the thing that we're doing. Um, Josh, you are a treasure. I cannot wait to see (laughs) what is going to be going on uh, for you. Can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek of 
what 2023 looks like for Fruit Club. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to be experimenting with, uh, so my, my first vintage last year was all grape and fruit hybrids. I'm going to try experimenting with like, like apple and fruit hybrids this year to see, mm-hmm. um, just really to see what kind of product it makes uh, by comparison and to see, cause like grapes, um, apples are, are much more accessible around here. And there are a lot of varieties of apple that are um, just, uh, I just don't know a lot about. And I feel like there are a lot of people who don't know about. Um, yeah. So it's not going it, to, so there's, it's It's also going to help kind of sidestep the uh, grape varietal thing. Cause I, I feel like I, when I, when I'm, tr- when I'm showing people new wines, um, that's a, that is a question I typically get about it is like, Oh, tell me about that grape. And like, it largely doesn't matter for the wine, for the wines I'm making. Cause the fruit is the star of the show. And um, it, it kind of says to me that a lot of people aren't, that it, that was one of the ways that's an indicator to me that a lot of people are in the same boat as like, I don't, I just don't understand what, I just don't know anything about these grapes. So teach me a little bit about it. So if we can go to apples, the, that question of like having to discern varietal from varietal isn't there. Hmm. Um, so it, it's going to make it easier for people. And it's going to make it easier for me. And also um, climate change is going to be changing the way grapes, where grapes are grown. And it's probably hmm. going to put like a squeeze on production here in the next five, 10 years. And it's probably going to make grapes much more expensive. So um spending time now getting to learn about getting to know apple farmers and figuring out like the best varieties of apples I'd like to use. And, um, and I can also source those a lot closer to me. Um, so that's, that's kind of big thing. That's, that's going to, uh, is, is working with apples. Uh, and also I'm going to start experimenting more with Piquette. I made one this past year and I liked it. It was one of my favorite wines that I made this past year. Uh, so still experimenting more with that um, and smaller projects uh, as I'm just able to find the time to do. So foraging yeah. fruit, something I've, I've been, uh, coll- I, I collected a bunch of cherries earlier this year. Uh, so that wine will probably come out next year uh, for the oh, wow. cherries that I foraged. And, and also, like buying lots of weird one-off fruits here and there and, and just kind of working my way through them to see what works and what doesn't. So um, I've got a lychee wine uh, oh my gosh. In, in the tanks right now that um, it was a pain to, to, to <laughs> produce. Like it was a pain to go from, <laughs> from lychee to, to, to liquid. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so it's just, just working, working through other fruits to see like what's even going to be possible to work with in the future. Oh my, um, I am so stoked about um, <laughs> this particular wine. I, so <laughs> a full digression, um, when we were kids, we would go to uh, the Indian store and the biggest mm-hmm. treat was that we, we were able to get some um, lychee soda and mm-hmm. it is. It's it's the it's the tastiest thing on the planet. I love that. Um, I always see some some lychee candies 
um, <laughs> in the packaging. But this this is like, I, I, I want to shout from the rooftops. I cannot wait to try this. This is going to be... <laughs> This is my 2023. Thank you so much. <laughs> that'll, that'll be coming out. So making that one specifically for a shop down the road to put in their okay. like advent calendar boxes. Um, but I'll definitely send you some. It'll be in the stuff that, and that'll be for my, for clubs. So basically the stuff, oh, just leaning, just doing more stuff for my clubs. Um, yeah. And, and as I'm able, as I'm making smaller and smaller batches, uh, just because of like fruit sourcing and how much wine I have on hand and um, kind of just experimentation. Uh, most of that stuff will, will go to my club. So, so exploring and expanding uh, club stuff will be another thing I'll be working on. But um, yeah, just working through, through different, you, you, I mean, and you're totally right. I, I love, I love, um, oh man, I, I totally spaced on how to pronounce it. Did you say lychee? I listen. Who's to say who's right here? You're right. Uh, okay. As Indians, okay. we say right. lychee, but okay. if if lychee is calling you, then please <laughs> continue. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So like they're they're really floral and they taste mm-hmm. like rose in a way that's really yes. hard to like find in other places. And that's like it's it's really pretty and perfumey. And um, I, I'm just really curious to see how it's going to turn out. Uh, it's about to go in the bottle. And, um, yeah. So, oh, another thing I'll probably be experimenting with soon also in, in addition to using apples is, um, just straight up capitalization to, mm. so most of the fruits that I use, um, or just most fruit in general just doesn't have the sugar content of grapes. Uh, so if I were to straight up ferment the cherries without adding any, uh, grape juice to them, mm. they would have produce like a five percent wine five and a half six percent wine which like isn't very stable want something more people want Hmm. like a higher abv wine um especially for the price point so uh i'm going to experiment with adding enough sugar to get up to the 10 percent like a a a benchmark of 10 percent abv and see what kind of wine that produces and if that produces like the same kind of dry, bright tasting fruit forward wine that might be a direction um, we go into uh, as well. Wow, that is incredibly exciting. I mean, that 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 could open up a whole. I feel like a whole slew of um, things for you. Um, you know, we we do in India um, have a lot of um, fermented sugar cane mm-hmm. uh, drinks that are that are in our toddies and i feel like that 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 is something um there's something there definitely so and i'm sure in your hands it's gonna it's gonna be beautiful and awesome so (laughs) we're i'm excited and um i just want to reiterate guys get to fruitblood.com and it'll be the the site will be uh, in the podcast post and make sure you sign up for the, this club because I think everyone needs to try all of these one-offs and these small batches. It's we're, we're getting really, really comfortable art here, but it is art with A R T E capital A R T E. So <laughs> absolutely. Um, Josh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I don't, I don't really think so. Like it's, yeah, you. I mean, you totally hit the head. I'm my my big takeaway from what you from talking to you today is going to be. You're right. It's it's a lot more about comfort. That's 
that was something I hadn't, I had not made that connection directly, but yeah, I mean, wine should be fun and nobody likes it to be talked down to by a bottle. <laughs> I want that on a shirt. Um, <laughs> Josh of fruit blood, Josh Elliott of fruit blood. Um, thank you so much. And I hope this isn't your last time on the podcast, but you, you were a dream and a delight. 